This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. Today we're going to talk about the NBA uh, post free agency initial wave. Pretty much all done now. Talk about some futures markets. Talk about Damian Lillard, and then we'll talk some tennis as well as Wimbledon is underway. Though as we are recording, it is raining in London. First time, first time that has happened. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> Damian Lillard though, Drew. I, yeah, I was. Uh, was home alone with the baby, and then the the tweet dropped uh, that the trade request was in, and then started scrambling around trying to back the Miami Heat at uh, fourteen to one to win the NBA title. I thought this would get done more quickly, uh, but it appears that Portland are taking other bidders, and that this is going to maybe get a little bit more drawn out, as might the James Harden saga. Uh, what do you make of the Dame drama, and do you think there are any bets in the market at current? Yeah, I think. Um... I mean, the Portland obviously has been in the you know in discussions to trade Dame for a long time. This shouldn't be new. Uh, they should have kind of a, a fair idea of what his value is in terms of return, considering the you know conversations they've had with teams this off season and really the last you know couple of years, likely. And you know, whereas Bradley Beal was weirdly you know given the opportunity to have a no trade clause, which forced the Wizards' hand in terms of taking a low return, uh, Dame does not have that, and this seems to be an effort to just kind of keep goodwill between player and franchise. Uh, but ultimately, I think if they get a better offer than the Heat can put together, which seems possible, uh, then maybe he doesn't end up in Miami, which um, you know definitely changes sort of the complexity of making a bet on this without knowing that it's finalized. Um, but I think that the shift you've seen in the odds reflects the correct likelihood that he does end up in Miami. And then ultimately it being, uh, you know, a rerun of heat Celtics to decide your Eastern conferences, uh, you know, is where we currently li- currently live. Indeed. Yeah. I think with Dame, the thing is, is that I don't think there's any history of a player, superstar player with anything close to this long left on their deal, getting traded to a place they didn't want to go. I think the only two parallels are Kawhi getting traded to Toronto and Paul George get uh, getting traded to Oklahoma City. But in both of those situations, those guys only had one year left on their deal. So just not as much needed to be given up. So I would suggest that basically if, if Dame, if he really wants to go uh, to, to Miami, then he will get there. Um, but and so I would make them the heavy favorite. I definitely wouldn't rule out Boston 
from trading for for Lillard. I think that that I think they might even be the second most likely, just because. I mean, these trades with teams like the Nets and the Spurs, like it just doesn't make any sense at all. Why would Lillard leave Portland to go to places where he's not going to be a tier one title contender? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sixers as well, if they're giving up Maxi and losing Harden and then it's Dame and Embiid and, and nothing else, then again, that's a better situation um, than what he's in in Portland now. But again, I don't think that's going to be the play. Boston where like, Jalen Brown and Robert Williams for Damian Lillard just makes so much sense on so many levels across the board. Portland then, they remain somewhat competitive. The Jeremy Grant contract makes more sense and then all their players still, their core is still young enough that it can grow and get better. And then on Boston's side, if you've got Dame, Derek White, Tatum, Horford, Porzingis, Brogdon, like that's the best team in the league by margin. You figure the rest out later. So... Uh, I, I think the Heat are the heavy favorite, but I would have Boston the second favorite to get in based on what I'm hearing. So yeah. that's interesting there. In terms of Lillard on the Heat, I think there's this idea that all of a sudden that they and Boston are joint favorites to win the title and, and to win the East. I don't think so. I think that the Celtics are still one, one, two points better than Miami with Lillard. I think that they are still the favorite in the East. I think the Heat become the second favorite and probably the, uh, the second favorite for the title as well, just because the, the East is so weak. Um, but what do you think there? Do you think that Butler, Dame, and Bam, is that equal to Boston? Yeah, the problem is all three players on the wrong side of the aging curve, uh, whereas Boston's players all still kind of on the rise. Um uh, yeah, I, I would. You said one or two points uh, on a neutral for the Celtics over the Heat. I would say more like two or three for me. Um, but still, you know, enough of a margin that uh, you would expect the Celtics to, you know, more likely to have home court, surely. Uh, just considering, uh, you know, there would be a pretty aggressive amount of load management if your uh, entire fortune is, you know, Butler, Bam, Lillard, you know, you're not going to make those guys play more than 65 games in the regular season. And so it's going to be tough for you to get the one seed over the Celtics. Um, and yeah, the the Celtics being still the favorites in the East uh, with Lillard in Miami seems, seems correct to me. Um, your other theory there, though, or your other kind of, um, you know, potential outcome of Lillard landing on the Celtics, that feels like a win-win for, every, for everybody. Um, that would be very cool <laughs> and a very, very good, fun team to watch. I would, uh, I, I've been trying to figure out really what the Celtics should do. Um, I like the Porzingis move a lot, but uh, you know, Jalen Brown doesn't feel like you're ever going to get the same. You, the, you know, you're not going to get out of him. Uh, you know what he ultimately could be if he's playing next to Tatum, and Tatum continues. You know his his growth may be a bit stunted by having Brown on the floor, uh, and you know you were. I didn't know how you could get full return for a player like Jalen Brown, unless you get someone like Lillard back. Um, I'm not sure why Lillard hasn't opened his mind to the idea of playing in Boston. His title chances for next year go up appreciably if that's the, you know, that's where he's living as opposed to Miami. But, um, you know, maybe there's a little bit less, Hey, this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like Miami's going to be his team. Um, you know, he's still going to, it's still going to be, perceived as Jimmy Butler, uh, even though Dame is, you know, the guy you would want with the ball in his hands at crunch time. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I see through his point of view why uh, Miami would be, uh, you know, a, a, a preferred destination over Boston. But, um, you know, that will, you know, I, 
yeah, I'm 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 very much finger on the trigger, ready to pull some, um, you know, some some futures in for uh, Celtics if if and when we you know kind of see this market sell down. Yeah, and I think look, there is there was once upon a time a superstar top ten player in the NBA who specifically said he didn't want to go to Boston in a trade, and that was Kevin Garnett. Uh, he changed his mind uh, and then ended up on the Celtics, of course, and they won the title in the first year. So certainly Dame could change his mind on that front. I know uh, he and Tatum are close, so I'm sure there's uh, a lot of texting going on. I'd love to be privy to those texts between Jason Tatum and Damon Lillard, uh, which could shape the outcome of the NBA uh, for the next next couple of years. But, yeah, I think the Celtics... I mean, yeah, I'm already heavily invested on the Celtics at 5-1, to 6-1 to one to win the title. I think that even if Dame goes to Miami, I still think that's value. And then if Dame goes to Boston, uh, then it becomes immense value. So I think they're the best bet uh, on the board at the moment. Uh, let's pivot to Wimbledon uh, and talk about the outright market, the quarter markets as well now that we have the draw now that play is underway and let's start on the women's side Iga Sviantek still the heavy favorite at plus 275 uh she's making quick work of her round one match as expected uh Elena Rabakina who is playing and came back from uh what ailed her at Roland Garros she's the second favorite and then Sabalenka Kibitova uh, Coco Goff, and then Ons Jabeur at 18 to 1. Sad to see uh, for Ons. What do you make of the women's side of the draw? Yeah, women's draw pretty imbalanced. Um, most of the significantly um, talented grass players or players in form landed on the bottom half of the draw. Uh, Iga and a handful of challengers who could, you know, have you know, more than two percent chance to win the title on the top half of the draw, which basically says Iga's path to the final is very soft. Uh, I would be extremely surprised if anyone truly tests her, particularly in uh, on her way to uh, the semifinals. Quarter one, I would have as clearly by far the weakest quarter uh, in the draw, and you know, looks like another potential, uh, you know clash between uh, Iga and uh, Coco Goff and you know your quarterfinal there where it's pretty lopsided rivalry at this point uh, no one else that I would say that has you know much of a chance to to take her down so Iga Q1 was probably the safest bet in the on the board um, you know once we saw the draw Q2 I still think is is also a little bit up for grabs uh, the top player I have in that quarter is uh, Verona Kudermatova she was not outstanding today but did come through cleanly um, and, uh, you know, like looks to have a, a challenging path uh, to get out of Q2, but she's the, the highest quality player in that quarter. Um, the bottom half of the draw is absolutely gnarly. There are so many really, really, really good players, particularly in quarter four. Um, quarter three, as you mentioned, is your, you know, your second favorite in Elena Robachna. Not a ton of confidence that she should even be the favorite in that quarter. I would have given the, that uh, um, preference to Petra Kvitova. Uh, by my numbers, Petra has the second likeliest chance to win this tournament. Uh, I think her fair price should be uh, about plus eight, 
50 uh, outright. And so I have a decent amount of Petra staked uh, to win Q3. Uh, I like that plus 250 to win Q3 price, you know, quite a lot because I think the chances that Rabakana either withdraws, gets upset as she is trying to recover from this viral illness. Uh, I think the chances that Jabour has a, a, an early out are pretty likely and we could wake up uh, before we even get to week two and Petra's biggest competition in this quarter could be Elena Ostapenko, who I favor her pretty aggressively against. So, uh, yeah, Kvitova plus 250 best bet for me uh, in the third quarter of the draw and then the fourth quarter, as mentioned previously. This is so competitive. Uh, I mean, take a price on a player like Alexandrova and see if uh, if she can emerge here. I, I mean, you know, a known player like Maria Sakkari being what the eighth choice, seventh choice yeah. in one, in a quarter uh, is pretty amazing at sixteen to one. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this is going to be extremely competitive. Bad break for Sabalenka. Uh, bad break for Madison Keys. Uh, if either of those two players had a softer quarter, I think you'd be talking about them likely winning their quarter. Um, but uh, this is going to be a, a pretty wide open look. How are you pricing Carolina Mukova going forward after? Uh, Obviously, an incredibly impressive run in Paris getting to the final. I thought that the last set that she played against Sabalenka, uh, particularly those last five games, it was just about as impressive as tennis can be played. And then I thought she was incredibly unimpressive in the final, which is strange to say given she was a ranked outsider and, and really came within a few points of beating Iga Sviantek in a Grand Slam final on clay. But I thought she really bottled that because Iga wasn't on her game uh, and Mukova was just completely rattled uh, in the third set uh, and really gave that one away. Didn't play any of the lead-ups to Wimbledon. Has a... I guess a tough relative to most first round opponents that you would get in Julie Niemeyer, who kind of gave eager a scare at Wimbledon last year. Uh, what do you make of Mukova in Wimbledon and, and going for Like, should she be priced as the eighth, ninth best player in the world? Or how, what do we do with her? Yeah, I, I would not describe her run at Roland Garros as fluky, um, but it was fortunate. Um, and I agree with you. She did bottle it in the final. That was hers to take. Um, I think Ego was beatable that day. Um, and she just, you know, didn't, didn't exercise her opportunities to the fullest. Uh, and you know, that that's probably going to sting because Mukova that she's good enough to be considered in the top 10 for every slam going forward, at least for the time being. Um, but the, you know, the degree of, you know, difference between her and the rest of the women in the top 10 is not great enough that she should really expect that she's just going to get a slam one day. Um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to have to be fortunate. Um, her draw is horrific here. <laughs> I mean, uh, this is an absolute uh, murderer's row, including her matchup in the first round against Julie Niemeyer. Um, she's, yeah, she's going to be lucky to make week two. Um, and realistically, um, she'll have another run in her, but she's going to need to be, it's not, it's going to need to be supported by a soft quarter. Um, and, uh, you know, she's going to have to put together some sustained winning out of the slams, uh, in order to really help boost her ranking and to get better draws. Um, she has one career title in singles on tour. That's obviously not enough for, she's at her career high ranking of 16 in the world right now. She needs to pretty clearly get into the top uh, you know, top eight uh, in terms of ranking if she wants to be afforded better draws. Uh, and I think realistically, uh, again, if she makes a run here um, and you're betting her match by match, I think you can accumulate a pretty 
awesome price likely because she's going to have to do it all herself if she's going to make a deep run. Uh, plus 550 is not a bettable number for me for the fourth quarter. I would much rather have a player like Alexandrova at 8-1, to 10-1 to 1 range uh, or even Krachikova in the 8-1 to 1 range just because you're getting a better price. Yep, that makes sense to me. All right, let's go to the men's side. Perhaps a little bit less suspense in the outright, at least, with Novak Djokovic being minus 175. He is making quick work of his round one matchup as we speak, uh, as expected. Uh, Alcaraz plus 350. Uh, your man, Yannick Sinner, 18 to 1. And then uh, kind of all over the place, Daniil Medvedev is 20 to 1. And then after that, it gets a little bleak. Uh, what were your, What are the biggest takeaways from the draw? Yeah, after seeing the draw, um, men's Wimbledon starts in about two weeks uh, when we're at the final between Alcaraz and Djokovic. Alcaraz's path is a little tougher. Um, quarter one, I didn't think afforded him, you know, it doesn't afford him an easy road to the final, in particular uh, a quarterfinal against Holger Rune. Very, very, very tasty potential head-to-head between two players that, uh, you know, I would love to see square off on grass to get a sense of whose game ultimately will be better because, you know, that's that's a... Rune Alcaraz is the potential, you know... Federer and Nadal type of you know quality rivalry we could get out of that generation if we're going to get one. Um, it doesn't look like Sinner is going to be in the mix for that based on what we've seen at least to this point. Um, but uh, Alcaraz has got a tough, tough uh, quarter, uh, tough round four potential opponent in Alex Dimonor, uh, and then Rune after that to get to the semifinals. Um, his potential semifinal opponent though is he's going to be heavily favored because quarter two is pretty weak. Um, I can't make. I can't lay minus one forty on Alcaraz to get out of this quarter. I'm just hopeful that we get to see him play Rune in the uh, in the quarterfinal. Um, yeah, quarter two very weak. Quarter three very weak. Uh, I think in both you know both instances you're going to get a player who makes his first uh, ever semifinal. Um, I think Medvedev is a scratch in this market at three to one. I think his approach to you know trying to bring his game to grass this season was a disaster. Uh, I don't really know what his team was thinking in terms of tactics he's employing out there. Uh, he's going to need to figure it out and figure it out quickly if he's going to avoid uh, an early ouster here as he has a player in Adrian Manorino potentially in round two who is very, very difficult to beat on grass. Greek sport potentially in round three. Another guy with a you know grass title to his name this cycle. Uh, and then Tommy Paul potentially or Francisco Sarindolo potentially in uh, the fourth round, uh, both of whom are coming off of recent finals in Eastbourne, so a lot of very good grass players in his quarter, specialists that I think uh, likely call for um, a relatively early ouster for Medvedev. Similarly, Sissipas, uh, nightmare draw. Uh, I don't think um, he has anything to worry about against Dominic Team, but uh, playing Andy Murray in round two is about as bad as it gets if you're Sissipas. That looks like a five-hour, five-set kind of absolute marathon match. Uh, neither player makes it much further than that round two head-to-head. Whoever comes through, in my opinion, because I like uh, some of those names in, uh, you know, in the um, American flag section of uh, section four. Uh, Maxime Cressy, I'm excited to see play. We'll get to him again a little bit later in this podcast, but uh, he's got a grass specialist nature that uh, I think favors 
uh, a decent run for him here. Uh, Mr. Young Ben Shelton, uh, who's uh, got a you know a future a game for being a, an absolute monster on grass in the future, uh, is in this section of the draw as well as uh, Sebastian Corda, who's uh, played quite well in the run up here. So uh, a lot of Americans potentially in Q two. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of young guys I think that have eyes to get to their first ever Slam semifinal, and uh, I you know I, I would look for flyers on the likes of the Tommy Pauls, uh, the Maxime Cressys, and the Ben Sheltons of the world at the prices that we're getting uh, because I just don't think Sissipas or, uh, or Medvedev realistically can get there. Um, and, uh, you know, that'll make for, uh, for a fun story for us uh, cheering on Team USA Tennis. Yeah, incredible scenes where Sissipas is longer to win his quarter than the likes of Sebastian Quarter and Andy Murray. But given Steph's recent form and his just complete collapse against Alcaraz um, in Paris, even though switching services, his form on grass has been terrible as well, so I uh, can't really fault that. Uh, anyone in, I mean, quarter four will be Novak's uh, one suspect. Yeah. Anyone in quarter three, any long shots here that you like uh, to potentially uh, upset that Yannick Sinner, who uh, is not afraid to get upset. <laughs> yeah, there is a. Uh, I took a decent long shot here at forty to one uh, to win Q three, and in a player named Quentin Halley's. Uh, he's a uh, big, biggest bet on the board for me today in his head to head against Dan Evans. He's a slight dog, which I don't understand. Uh, Quentin Halley's is not, you know, he's not an accomplished grass player by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, in fact, rather than playing on grass in the lead-up, he elected to play clay challengers. Um, but he did great. <laughs> he, he's winning He's winning matches, um, and he has the skill set that he ultimately should be a tough out here. Uh, one of the things that's interesting about Wimbledon, this if this is your first cycle betting Wimbledon or a first of you know maybe second, even third, um, you may not know this already, but uh, two things to note with Rin in the forecast, by the way. Uh, if a play if play gets suspended, you have a bet open. It just carries to the next day. It doesn't get canceled. It doesn't get refunded. They wait until the match has been decided one way or the other before they grade those plays. So it's just going to sit in your queue uh, if you have a bet on a play that does not get decided in a given day. Um, this mattered more back in the day when we had some matches that had tie breaks that went on for like three days long, and you just sit there and wait to watch your money. You know, even even a total that was already decided to just sit there in the queue. They wait until the matches uh, is truly over before they grade those. Uh, but the other thing to know about Wimbledon is, um, you know, when it's raining. The surface and, and early in the tournament, because it hasn't been played on very much, it plays actually a lot slower, a lot closer to clay, just because the grass is is young. It's 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 not young, but it's it's alive. <laughs> it will get beaten down and cooked the hotter it is uh, and the drier it is as we go through the week, and it gets faster. And so the ch- the conditions will change going from week one to week two. Uh, the conditions as they are now, I think, really play strongly to Quinn Halley's to potentially steal this quarter. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not even necessarily high confidence in this player as I am just looking at quarter three as extremely weak. Somebody's going to come through here. Uh, it could even be Casper Root, who's playing very well right now. Um, but it's uh, it's going to be uh, it's it's there for the taking. Um, you know, Taylor Fritz, the American, certainly has high expectations that he could come through here. He's fairly uh, priced at the top of the table here for quarter three and. Uh, and ultimately, I think this is this. But yeah, ultimately, I think there's going to be a surprise here. So I don't mind taking a long shot, you know, or, or you know, somebody in the forty to one range just to to put together some form uh, and surprise here. Yep, Quentin Hallis. There you go, forty to one. 
Uh, the only two guys who are in the outright market that I am I guess, paying attention to outside of the two big favorites are Rune and Sinner, just because I think those are the only two guys who probably have the upside uh, to touch Alcaraz and Djokovic without injury. But even then, uh, you would suspect that they are drawing pretty close to dead and we will get the final that we all expect. All right, before we get to our best bets for Wimbledon tomorrow, a reminder that Sunday mornings mean MLB leadoff on Peacock. You can live stream games all season long. And this week, AL West leading Rangers travel to the nation's capital to face the Nationals. Coverage of the matchup begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. It's exclusive on Peacock. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Wake and cash Wimbledon bets. You alluded to uh, your man, Maxime Cressy. What do you like for him tomorrow? <laughs> Yeah, so this is a little bit of a buy low on Cressy, even though he's a small favorite. Uh, and it's a little bit of a sell high on Laszlo Giri, who I do not favor at all, even with the slower conditions that we have out there lending themselves to his clay pedigree. I think I think this is still a huge mismatch when it comes to serve and style in favor of Cressy. Uh, I think Cressy puts together a little form here. The, you know, if this if if he had not had a, you know a little bit of a, a poor run of form. Uh, over the last, uh, you know, really six months, I think this would be priced more like minus 400 for Cressy. Uh, so you're getting a discount. Um, I like to, rather than go heavily uh, on the money line at minus 140, I think if Cressy puts his game together uh, the way I would expect, this looks like a 3-1, potentially a 3-0 uh, you know, win for him. Uh, so I'm going to go and lay the sets here. Uh, minus one and a half sets for Maxime Cressy is plus 135, plus 140 if you shop around. Uh, and that's basically just saying he's going to win in uh, 3-0 or 3-1 uh, as opposed to winning in 3-2 or losing outright. So a fun way to kind of try to exercise a little bit of uh, what I think is a, a pretty clear advantage in terms of uh, you know style uh, of play and, and strength of serve. And uh, you know if Cressy ultimately uh, is... He made burn money for me this tournament, but uh, I don't mind uh, taking a shot against a player like uh, Giri, who really only thrives in the especially slow conditions. Yep, like it. Maxime Cressy, riding with him all the way. All right, I am going with uh, a home run swing. I'm taking Shelby Rogers uh, to beat Elena Rabakina. 
uh, the reigning defending champ who broke my heart. Uh, Shelby is plus 525 on the money line on MGM. You can get north of plus 600 uh, if you shop around a bit. And I guess when you're backing a underdog in the 6-1 to one range, you want variance. And I think that Rebecca's health gives you that variance where I just don't know what we're going to get from her. Obviously, her illness was very bad if it forced her to pull out of Roland Garros when she was one of the top three favorites. She said that her preparation has not been ideal for this tournament. And also, they played each other about 12 months ago, almost to the day, uh, in a lead-up tournament on grass to Wimbledon last year. And Shelby Rogers got her in straight sets. So you add all that up, and I think that Rogers is much more live than your typical six-to-one dog. Now, Rebecca looked fine enough in Berlin, even though Vekic got her uh, in three sets. So you suspect that she's probably going to be okay. But I think there's a decent chance that she's just not the player uh, that you would attach to her name uh, and that Rogers is a bit of value uh, as an underdog. What do you think of this match? Yeah, I mean, uh, Shelby Rogers is a player who people have largely forgotten about because this year has not gone well for her. Uh, but she does have grass pedigree. And uh, the questions you rise about Rabakina's form, I think, are real. Um, some of the videos that I've seen of her practicing, she does not look like she is, uh, you know, tuned to the degree where, uh, you know, she's going to be minus 900 type of uh, player. <laughs> I think, you know, if she's winning, it's going to be ugly. I don't mind taking the games with Shelby Rogers, and this is ultimately may come down to, you know, tie breaks deciding it one way or the other. Um, Rabakina needs rhythm on her serve she needs timing she's you know she's she's hitting winners she's not you know it, it looking for extended rallies and looking for her opponent to make mistakes like her game is very much uh, about uh, power and, and winners and rhythm and um, just having not played I think matters uh, and you know certainly the idea of if the going gets tough she's looks ready to pull the plug and you know you focus on her health yeah, I mean, she pulled out of Roland Garros completely by surprise. Um, so it would not surprise me if uh, she ultimately decides to eject. I'm not saying, you know, quits mid-match, but, uh, you know, just doesn't have the fighting spirit to kind of grind through, uh, you know, a really difficult challenge. So, um, yeah, huge upside on Rogers as the underdog. That's a fun look. Yep. I think we're back in her as well. She's the type of player when she's, when she's off, it can all really fall apart. She's not like this kind mm -hmm. of consistent, steady Belinda Bencic type where you can probably just maybe grind through even if uh, not at perfect health and perfect rhythm. But when Rebecca is off, it doesn't look good. And I think there is a, there's a much bigger chance than usual that she'll be off tomorrow morning. All right, Maxime Cressy and Shelby Rogers, the two heroes, upcoming heroes of Independence Day. Who better to ride with? This wouldn't be new, by the way, for Shelby Rogers coming away with a huge upset at a slam level. Uh, she yeah. beat uh, Ash Barty in 2020, 21? I think 21. Yeah. She beat her at the U.S. Open when Ash Barty was, uh, uh, you know, by many considered, uh, you know, likely to win that tournament. Uh, shall we got her? Yep. She'll do it again tomorrow morning. <laughs> All right. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks, everyone, watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. From Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick, we'll see you soon.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.